Hi everyone, if you'd like to find your seats again, we'll make a start. And in order to do that, would you like to turn to Ephesians and chapter 6? And we're going to continue, in fact we're going to conclude our studies through Ephesians, which we've been doing for some months now. And today is our final outing into Ephesians. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 6, I'll read it in a moment. This is a big moment. I know that it's Bank Holiday weekend, but that's not really what I'm talking about. And I know it's Bank Holiday weekend weather, and I'm certainly not talking about that. But it is a big moment for us because it is Ben and Jesse's uh, final Sunday before they begin their sabbatical. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to pray for them. Um, I think Ben and Jess... uh, for me personally and for us as a congregation and a church, are a demonstration of how much God loves us. That they would bring Ben and Jess to us and that they would serve faithfully amongst us. Uh, I always think Ben is, ben is the, the big half of the brain that I never got at birth. <laughs> so he is a, a extraordinarily hardworking and diligent man and, and Jess and Ben together, and the whole family, in fact, are a huge blessing in making church work. And I am very, very grateful to God for them, and I know you are too. Let's pray for them, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for Ben and for Jess, for the family. We thank you, Lord God, for bringing them here. We thank you, Lord God, that you called them to be part of your kingdom coming here in Bristol. Father, we pray your blessing on them now as they begin this period of rest and of going and visiting other churches and seeing other Uh, places that you're working we pray father would you bless them i pray bless them in their home bless them on their break bless them as they visit other places bless them uh, together bless their relationship bless their family friendships lord jesus give them memories as a family that will last them for a whole lifetime lord god i pray refresh them uh, physically and mentally and spiritually lord god i pray they'd spend time with friends that often time doesn't allow for i pray lord god that they would come back to us refreshed and ready to serve you and serve your people in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We'll see Ben and Jess again at West Point so you need to get signed up uh, for that. Uh, West Point's our kind of summer festival with other churches part of the commission family. A great time to gather together uh, when the weather will be superb. I think it's also a bank holiday weekend so it's no doubt that it'll be fine. I was preaching in the midst of a thunderstorm up in Bradley Stoke so if we can avoid that uh, although maybe it adds weight, I don't know, to what you say. Usually I can't really hear because the angelic host behind, you know, the wings and stuff. <laughs> maybe that's what's going on. But uh, please do listen to God's word. And uh, I'm going to read from Ephesians 6. Familiar passage now to all of us, uh, just starting at verse 10 uh, down to verse 18. Finally, says Paul, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that when I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Father, we ask that as we look at your word that you would come upon us by your spirit, that we be people who hear and respond to what you are saying. Lord, we thank you that your word is given to us for our instruction and strengthening, that we would be encouraged and thrust out, as it were, into uh, the world to take your gospel of Uh, the good gospel of Jesus to those around us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, that you'd be doing all of those things by your spirit as we look at it. Lord God, I pray even use my words, Father, I pray to strengthen us as a body together. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 So today we're going to kind of wrap up our series in Ephesians, uh, which we've been doing for some months now. So we looked at the first half of Ephesians and we called that Blueprint, How to Live as a Believer. And so we spent months doing that. And then the second half, uh, since Easter, I think, we've looked here at the armor of God. And we've taken that separately, recognizing that Paul is describing what it means to fight as a believer. And I'm going to sum a little bit of that up, a bit of a recap. And then what I'd like us to do is to look at what next? What, what does that all mean then? What does this fully armed soldier do? How does he engage with the enemy? So we're going to do that uh, together now, so, summing up, the Christian life is a battle. And one of the challenges for believers is that we forget that. And we just think it's, a, it's like a day at a theme park. Uh, that's the Christian life, isn't it? It's just, isn't it just glory, glory all the way? And Paul says, no, actually it's a battle. That's what it is. And the trouble we get into often as believers is we forget that. You need to fight. I'm saying it like that on purpose. I want you to remember that. Because when difficulties come, and Paul is saying they will come, uh, the encouragement of Scripture is this, man is prone to trouble as the sparks fly upward from the fire. So the Bible tells us, that's encouraging. (laughs) But it's true. We face challenges as believers. But we're not ill-equipped. You can face the challenges and win. Because you are a fully equipped soldier, but if you forget you are, you are prone to being taken out of the fight. And many believers over many centuries have found that to be true to their peril. And I don't want you, my dear friends, to face that without being fully armed. And that's what we've been doing. To be aware that it's a fight. It's a daily battle to believe, to follow him against the just the onslaught of other voices telling you how to live, how to spend your money, what's important, what's not important, what's true, what's not true. It comes at you from every angle and at every moment. And we need to be equipped to combat all of that with the truth of who God is and what he's done. It's a battle. So we've looked at, and we'll look briefly now again, at the different uh, items, the different pieces of equipment that God has given us in order to fight and win. And firstly, we looked at the belt of truth, the word of God. The Bible uh, is that belt holding all the other items in place. Without 
that belt in place, we're vulnerable, the other items of, of, the, of the armour can easily slip and fall, the truth of God's word. To Timothy, we read this, the, uh, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. It's God's word to you. It's a belt of truth around your waist. It's a security for everything else. Some would say that this is the challenge of our day, to believe in Scripture, to believe it really is God's word. That that's, that's where the, the, the main point of conflict right now in the, in the Christian world in this country is that. Do we believe it or do we think something else about it? And the challenge is that we sometimes would hear people use it like the Bible is kind of the beginnings of a discussion document. It's like, well, here's God's word, and that's interesting. Well, here are my thoughts about that. And, and we kind of, yeah, well, you know, that's, that's a bit dated, that bit, so we'll leave that to one side. No, this is his word. We just treat it with reverence and awe, even. It's the truth of God to us. It's because he loves us that he's protected it down the centuries so that we can read it. We need to come to it with, with uh, reverence and awe. It's not either kind of the opening gambit for a negotiation. So, well, that's your position, God, and you know, I'm, I'm not really there, I'm over here, so can we sort of come to a negotiated settlement about the truth? That's how we treat it often. And we do that at our peril. We need to trust and believe it. And Paul says that's the belt. That's the security that's holding everything else in place. If you, if you start unbuckling it, everything goes. Everything else, the breastplate's gone and the, 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 the sword's fallen off. The whole thing becomes unstable if we don't believe that about God's truth. And of course, we need to engage with it, but at the very least, we need to engage with it. We need to read it. Read his word. I don't know how many preachers say that, how often. I'm sure they say it all the time. But listen, it's easy to say, it's tough to do, to regularly be reading his word so that it becomes part of my reaction to things. So that when something happens, so when I do face a challenge, what comes out? Is it, oh, that should, somebody, someone's not done their job properly, that my life's not going as well as it should. Or is it, wow, this is, oh, hang on, I, there's echoes of this in his word. I know what the Bible says about this thing, about relationships, about marriage. What does it say about money? What does it say about work? What does it say about planning a future? It says things about everything, Everything to do with life, it speaks about. Do I know where to go? And do I stand on it? The belt of truth. Next we find the breastplate of righteousness needs to be in place. This protects the vital organs, the lungs, the heart. This is where the oxygen goes in, where the, the blood is pumped around the soldier's body. Without it uh, in place, we are vulnerable to the enemy. I am and you are, by the grace of God, righteous as a gift. That means you are in right standing before God right now if you're a believer. There's nothing else to be done. You are right. You are where you should be in his presence. By right. Who's right? Not your own. By the righteousness of Christ. That's your armour, your breastplate, protecting the vital organs. 2 Corinthians, we read this. God made him who had no sin uh, for us, uh, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You have that right standing before God as a gift because of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's wonderful news. It easily, easily slips. 
and we start feeling that my behaviour or my sin or my actions, suddenly I find, oh no, God's not pleased anymore. It was, it was all about me all along, maybe we think. Or, oh yeah, what about this? Or what about that thought? What about that action? What about that conversation I had? And suddenly we find that we're vulnerable. We need to come back to the breastplate of righteousness. No, I'm righteous as a gift. Thirdly, we read uh, the readiness that comes from the shoes of the gospel of peace. We have a long way to say it, but that's what we, we need. We need our shoes on. We need to be stable and mobile. And God's made provision for that to be the case, that we wear the gospel shoes. They support us and carry us. What does that mean? It means that I believe that the gospel is working for me today. That I understand what that means. That, mean, that makes me stable. That, that God's forgiveness applies to me right now as it applies to you. That, makes, that means I'm not vulnerable to slipping. Why? Because I know that it's working for me. As I come back to God again and again in repentance and faith, as I choose to trust him and follow him uh, each day, so I'm stable. I'm also mobile because I know that that gospel is, uh, is enough for my stability. Therefore, I can move forward into the things that God has called me to. So when God puts faith challenges before us, I need to have my feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace so that I'm, I'm not so concerned with, well, how is it for me today? I can actually move forward because it makes me mobile, confident in what God has done. Philippians uh, chapter 1 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in me will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the gospel making me stable and making me mobile, enabling that mobility. Next we have the shield of faith, and this is something that has to be taken up, so it's not something that's secured on. You've got to pick it up, and you've got to keep doing it day by day. And we protect ourselves and we protect each other with faith. And we're protected against the onslaught and the accusation of those fiery darts of the enemy. And sometimes those fiery darts would come at us like this. Do you remember when you did that? And it's like, oh, yeah, it feels like it's gone in, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember that stupid thing I did. That foolish thing I said. And it goes in and, it's, and you feel the pain of it going in. And then it's like, ah, yeah, and you'll probably do that again. And it burns, isn't it? That's what happens. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, my goodness, was I that stupid? And sometimes the embarrassment can be very real. It comes back to us, the sense of shame. And at that point, what do we do? We get that shield up, that shield of faith that says, no, righteous as a gift. He is my righteousness. I believe it. I choose to believe it. As for me and my household, we're going to do this. We're going to serve the Lord that's what we're going to do. We get the shield up. And sometimes we need to lock shields with one another, get alongside each other and say, do you know what? The things that you believe in right now, they're not true. It's not true what you're believing. Now believe the truth. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in a famous book, dreadful title, great book. The book's called Spiritual Depression. Sounds hopeless. It's one of the best books you'll read on following Jesus. And he said this, he said, doubt comes, and I think we referred to it, someone referred to it a bit earlier. Doubt comes, when we listen to ourselves rather than speak to ourselves. So doubt comes, those fiery darts come in when I listen to myself and don't speak the truth to myself. It's really important we get our shields up and that extinguishes, extinguishes those fiery darts. We need to do that for one another and for ourselves. Next, the helmet of salvation. Protecting our mind, 
so much of spiritual warfare happens in our mind. Maybe 90-95% of it is happening inside of your head and more than ever before, I would suggest, in our culture, where the onslaught of information, you just can't get away from it. You get up in the morning and bam, bam, you're being told how the world is and how it works. You're being told what's good. You're being told what's bad. And it comes at you with, it, with high production values, doesn't it? It comes at you in ways that you think, oh, this is great, look at that. In quadraphonic sound, more than that probably now, from every angle, and a lot of it is not true. <laughs> a lot of it isn't true. And again, well, we need to know his word. And the helmet of salvation fits over my head and reminds me saved by Jesus Christ. That's my, that's my plumb line. That's where I start and finish. That's what needs to be going on in my head, that I'm saved by him. It puts thoughts in order as I bring them under God's word. It begins to bring some order to how I think because who knows what goes on in each of our heads. If you could see what goes on in my head, if I could see what goes on in, your, in yours and I could see by your faces, you wouldn't want that and neither would I. Helmet of salvation protects us, reminding ourselves I'm saved by Jesus' death and resurrection. He is powerful and able and I bring my thought life in line with him. We're transformed, says the Bible, and you're thinking, great, what's coming next? Be transformed be, by how? Is it, uh, is it some sort of workout regime? What is it? You know, a diet maybe? What is it? By the renewing of your mind. That's how we're transformed, and that's with God's word. Uh, someone said, I think it was John Hosier, who some of you will know, someone, someone said to him, yeah, but when I listen to all these sermons, it's like water through a sieve. And maybe that's you this morning. And he said, at least you get a clean sieve. <laughs> and I think that's worth remembering. Sometimes it, I'm like you. I've sat through more sermons than you, I bet you. And listen, you think, oh, it's just, I just don't remember much of it. But you do get a clean sieve at the end of it. And uh, that's worth, probably, you'll remember that, won't you, anyway. So. <laughs> and next, in order of, uh, of Paul's writing, we take up, the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. Do we know how to wield God's Word? Do we know where to bring it to bear? When there's decisions to be made, is it this job? Is it this relationship? Should we move here? Do we know where to go in His Word? Do we know where to bring the sword to bear or when the enemy would come against us and tell us something? Do we know how to bring that sword to bear? Do we know the right scriptures to bring when I'm in a conversation with a friend who wants to know something about Jesus? Where do I take him? There's a lot of words in the Bible. Do I know? Am I able to wield God's word effectively? Do I know how to do it? The sword of the Spirit. Jesus did, and in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 4, we find Jesus' ability to wield this sword on display. I'll just read it to you because I think it's helpful. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love the just, just clarity of scripture. He was 40 days and 40 nights without food. He was hungry. Yep. Uh, and the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And what does Jesus do at that point? Does he call angels down, which he could have done? Legions of angels would have come and protected him. What does he do? He does this. He says, it is written. And he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and he says this, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He knew the right scripture to combat the enemy. And we can know that too. 
by some simple study and by regularly being in his word. Now what we have is a fully clothed and fully armed and equipped soldier standing before us. Can you, can you picture in your mind's eye the, the Roman soldier, maybe the sword's out, maybe the shield's up, the helmet's in place, the, the breastplate is gleaming, the whole, the whole thing, the shoes are ready, firmly strapped to his feet, and now what? What does the soldier do? Because it's, that would be, it would be daft, wouldn't it? You, you get trained as a soldier, and it's like, that's it, guys, bye. No, what's the point of being trained as a soldier? Fight! It's to fight. You don't be trained as a soldier to be trained as a soldier. It's, it's a means to an end. It's in order that you go and engage the enemy somewhere, somehow, in some description. You need an assignment. And that's often, if you've... I've watched the films, I'm sure you have. I've even had friends who've trained to be soldiers. And the, the ears are open. Where are we going? What's the assignment? Where are we being sent? Where are we going to engage the enemy? And that's where Paul leads us next in what he writes. A trained soldier without an assignment is just daft. It would be a waste of resources. It would be depressing even. Like, well, I've got, we've, got all this, we've got this army, we've got nothing to do with them. We don't know what to do, really. Well, sorry guys, back to work, back to something else, back to city life. No, there is something to do. We're not supposed to sit around admiring one another's armour. And I've given you this picture before, and I, I think I felt God show me years ago that sometimes us as Christians are like these fully armed soldiers, and in my mind's eye at that moment, it was the kind of, it, it was the, um, the knights with the, with the gleaming armour, you know, the metal armour. And across the hillside, there they were. And it, in one sense, in the sunlight, it looked magnificent. But actually what they were doing was just buffing one another's armour. So, oh, well, you've got a bit of a, yeah, just, just, just a bit there on your breastplate, let's just, uh, just, you know, buff that up a bit, shines a bit more, and, oh, your sword, let's sharpen that a bit more. Where, actually, they're supposed to be fighting. It's just a daft picture, isn't it? And yet, often, we find ourselves in that position. And so we're supposed to fight, to engage with the enemy. And so what is the engagement that we're supposed to, supposed to do? What's the assignment and Paul, as I've started with, and I'll tell you uh, explicitly now, it's to pray. And Paul says, now pray. Now pray. Now get on your knees and fight like there was no tomorrow. And we think, well, couldn't it be a bit more, you know, that's... Pray, really? That's the, that's the thing. Well, that's where Paul leads us in this scripture. He says, now pray. Prayer, as we know, and you might not be a believer here today, but and it might be even more mysterious for you. It's mysterious for believers, so I'm sure it would be for you. It is a mysterious thing that God has chosen this as the method for getting his kingdom to come. This is what he said. He says, now you need to pray. Jesus himself prayed on many occasions. And we could go into a long debate around why maybe God has chosen this as his method for advancing the kingdom. It probably wouldn't help us much, but this one thing we do know. Prayer is a humble act. Prayer says, I, I can't do this, but I believe that you can. It's asking for help. I need your help. And do you know what? We need to be a humble people. To get into the kingdom requires humility. And to be in the kingdom requires humility. That we come to God and say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. We, we live in a, a society which is very used to 
We know how to get stuff done. Maybe we don't so much these days, but there was a time when we felt like we knew how to get stuff done. We knew how to organize, you know, leaving something. But, we, but anyway, we, we didn't know how to... We, there were times when we felt we could do that, and sometimes we feel that personally. I've, you know, I've made good provision for our future. I've, I've got a good pension. Or, you know, I feel like my career is going really well, and we can feel very confident in ourselves at that point. And prayer brings me right back to a humble stance before God. In 2 Chronicles 7, right there in the Old Testament, we read this. If my people, who are called by my name, would what? Would humble themselves and pray. Would humble themselves and pray. It's a humble act to pray. There's an American preacher, a guy called C.J. Mahaney, who some of you may have heard of, and he said this about his prayer life. He was considering that his prayer life maybe was lacked something. And he said that initially, as he thought about this, he thought maybe that it was because he was lazy, that he, that, that he was uh, less prayerful than he felt he should be or could be. Maybe that was it. Maybe I'm lazy. Uh, maybe that's it. And for a long time, that's what he assumed. And then eventually, he looked a bit deeper into his own heart. And he said this. He said, I came to understand that it was pride that stopped me praying, that I felt like I could do it without God. I felt like I, didn't, I, I, I could manage on my own. And that would be a, an assessment for many of us. I know for me in my own heart, I just think I can manage today without praying. I could, I'll be fine. It's all going to go fine. I could get through it. It'll be fine. But if my people would humble themselves and pray, it's what the Bible teaches us. Now, here's the truth about prayer. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Here is the truth about prayer. There's no secret formula. There's no book you can read that when you've put the book down, shut the final page, suddenly you're a prayer warrior. There is no secret. There's no diet you can go on. There's no, there's no app, I'm afraid, to download that's going to really do it for you. There are things that will help, but there is no secret. It will be a little bit like saying this. The secret to marathon running does not involve any running. I mean, that would be just daft, wouldn't it? So, like, they, they, If you want to be a marathon runner, at some point, you've got to get up and run. Now, you've probably got to do other things as well, but it cannot be less than that, can it? I'm going to do a marathon. No, I'm not. But if I'm going to do a marathon in a year's time, right now I need to be thinking about running. And so it is with prayer. If, if the answer to a, a, a better prayer life doesn't involve just doing it, then there's some, something really wrong about that. And actually, it is incredibly simple because we can all do that. Over the years uh, in the Christian world, it's become known as a, a spiritual discipline. And you know, in the Bible, discipline is for the loved. Discipline is for the loved. The Bible says that he disciplines those he loves. And it says he's treating you like children like loved children. If you're a father or a mother, if you're a parent here, a grandparent, you know that's true. You discipline your children. Why? Because you love them. Because you maybe have seen the results of ill-disciplined children. And you think, no way. Not a chance. I'm gonna, there are consequences to actions and children need to understand that. And so we discipline our children because we love them. And there's a discipline to prayer. There's a discipline action. Why? Because he loves us, wants us to be good and to, be, uh, to advance in our prayer life. 
So what does Paul actually say about, about prayerfulness? Well, he tells us four things, which we'll look at briefly, and then we'll look at some application as we finish up. But here we go. So he says, pray in the Spirit. He says, pray in the Spirit. And what does he mean by that? Well, does he mean pray in tongues? Well, he probably does mean that. It's probably more than that, but he probably does mean that. And praying in tongues is praying in a language that you've not learned, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So often when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, out comes a language. They begin to pray and speak, and you must have heard it if you've been in this church for any amount of time, that people pray in tongues. Mostly, that's for you. That's for your own building up and strengthening. And Paul actually says, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, look, when I pray, when I pray in tongues, uh, my mind is unfruitful, but my spirit is strengthened. And so it's a spiritual action. And what he says is, he says, look, I'm not going to leave my mind idle while I pray in the spirit. So I pray in the spirit, or I pray in the tongues, and I'll pray with my mind at the same time. I could do double. It's kind of what, what he says there in 1 Corinthians 14. You can have a look at it afterwards if you like. And he probably does mean praying in tongues. And if it may be something we can, if you're thinking, well, I don't know if I do that or not. And sometimes you need a bit of help to get going, others to pray with you and to pray for you. Maybe that's something we could do at the end today. But actually, if we look in context of the passage, we find that he's just been talking about the sword of the Spirit. And he says that's the Word of God. So it may well be that what Paul has in mind when he says pray in the Spirit is he's saying pray God's Word. Pray God's Word back to him. Pray the Bible. And this is a very, very helpful way to pray. And in fact, I've been doing this for the last couple of weeks in Psalm 144. So I have a, this, I'm giving you some application points ahead of time, but I have a prayer journal. So I open it up and I write the verse I've come to in the Bible. I write it at the top of the page and then I say, speak to me, Lord, speak to me. And as God, as I think about the words of the scripture, people come into mind to pray for situations my own heart sometimes, stuff about the church, about God, about all sorts of things. And I tend to write those things down. But I'm letting the Word of God lead me as I pray. It's a very, very helpful way to uh, learn how to pray. It just gives a structure. I know I'm praying truth because it's God's Word. And, and God will lead you by the Spirit through. Um, so what else does Paul maybe not mean? Well, uh, or, or mean by praying the Spirit? Well, when we were at school, and I think I've told you this before, we used to pray the Lord's th Prayer through every day in assembly, and it was just words. No one really, I don't suppose, meant it in the whole room. You just had to do it. That's not praying in the Spirit. It's just reciting something. It's just a mantra. It doesn't, it's of no help at all, really. Uh, maybe it's God's Word, so maybe it has some help at some point. But that isn't what Paul means. He says, engage with God when you pray. Pray in the Spirit. There's an interaction between you and the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together as we come to pray. And that's why we pray, we pray to the Father in the authority of Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you off? <laughs> I'm gonna t and this, this, this might be a bit of a moment. When we pray, we say Father. We don't say, yeah, Lord. It's a holy moment when we come to God. And we need to approach him with reverence. And Jesus said, when you pray, say Father. And God went to the ends of the earth so that you and I could say Father. Forgive me. 
And so when we pray, I don't know why we do it, because we're in a room with lots of people who are praying and we want to make sure that we get ours in. But yeah, Lord, it's not really appropriate as we approach a holy God. We get to say, Father. It's a wonderful privilege. It's a glorious privilege. So please hear me and don't hear me. Take it (laughs) as I mean it. And I I love it that we pray, and I love it that many of us pray, and we're trying to get our prayers in and and everything. But we can say, Father. It's appropriate to say, Father. It's the right thing. It's what Jesus told us to do. Let's not be too casual as we come to our glorious, loving, heavenly Father. Okay, enough said about that. So it says, pray in the Spirit. It says, it's not mantra. We can pray through God's Word. We can pray in tongues. We can let the Holy Spirit lead us in our thinking and in our minds as he does it. The next thing he says is this. He says, pray all the time with all kinds of prayers and requests. So it's like, well, when should I pray all the time? It's easy, isn't it? It's like, if you're thinking about it, now's the time to do it. It's like, if you're wondering, it's now. It's like, you know, in season, out of season, when, when should we share the word? Well, in and out of season, great. Pray now, yes, now, yes. When you wake up in the night, pray. When you wake up early in the morning, you can pray. When you're going to bed, you can pray. When you're having lunch, you can pray. You're at your desk in a moment, you can pray because he's made a way. The way is open. He's listening. He's ready because of what Jesus has done. It's part of our privilege as children. We have his ear every day, all the time. And then what should I pray about? Well, is, it, is, there, is there a sort of ranking of things? These are really important, so I'll use these things. These are not, No, I pray about everything and I pray all the time. So it's kind of easy. It's a bit of a catch-all, isn't it, really? And then here's the thing, because we look for examples then in, the, in God's Word, don't we? And, and in Mark chapter 1, we, we see something about Jesus' prayer life. And he says this, uh, Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up to pray. Don't you wish it said, late morning after a hearty breakfast, <laughs> Jesus got some other stuff done, and then he, then he came to pray. Wouldn't that be convenient? But no, why? Well, for Jesus, he put it in first. That's a priority. That's what priorities are, and then you put them in first. And he says, no, it was a priority for Jesus. He put it in first. And so early in the morning when it was still dark, he got up and to pray. Well, what should you pray about? Well, it is everything. But there are sometimes ways uh, to think that will help you. And so someone, when I was much younger, and uh, uh, someone in the ministry said this to me as I was talking to him. He said, turn your anxious thoughts into prayers. There, there are lots of voices in your head all the time, aren't there? Yeah, I know, you probably won't admit it openly, but it's true. Uh, there's lots of stuff going on, lots of thoughts bouncing around, and sometimes that can be a tumult uh, of kind of of anxiety, you can't think, oh, what's going to happen here? What about that? You know, have I fed the children? You know, where are the children? You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. You know, what about work? I should be at work. I've prayed too long. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening. Turn that into prayer. So that rather than it just becoming a negative drain in your mind and heart, it becomes something positive. I'm going to turn it back to him. Next thing he says, he says, watch and pray. He says, be alert as you pray. And this is a, there's an Old Testament principle at work here. And let me just describe it briefly to you. So the Old Testament cities were walled cities. In fact, that was the definition of a city. Inside the walls, we're in the city. Outside the walls, we're outside the city. And you probably remember Jericho and Jerusalem had a wall. Uh, those are the cities we remember. 
And what they would do, because the city needed to be protected, is they would post watchmen on the walls. And the watchmen would see who's coming and what's coming. And most of the time, that's friendly. Sometimes an adversary would come. Sometimes an army would come. And in Isaiah 62, we find that spiritualized. It says this, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night, you who call on the Lord. Give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her a praise in the earth. And he's saying that's what prayer is. Prayer is to keep watch. And sometimes God speaks to us specifically, but sometimes the action of prayer is to be watchful, that God leads you as you pray, informs you, tells you things, guides you even in your actions as you pray. And we need to be like that, to be ready, to be watchful, to be ready for what God might call us to. That's the positive things as well, that we are prepared. And prayer is how we do that, is to be watchful, to be ready, to watch and pray. And then finally Paul says, pray, and it's, it's all obvious with Paul, we're not going to get far from this because of his heart for the lost. Pray that I might preach the gospel fearlessly as I should. And that's really what he finishes with. He says, pray that the gospel would be preached fearlessly. And if there was anything that we could say about our day, about our city, it would be that. That we would preach fearlessly. And that's going to get harder. It's harder now than it was when I was a teenager. Much harder. To say some of the things that the Bible says and say them openly. It's it's tougher. You get a lot more comeback from people. And it's going to get harder too. But we need to pray, Lord, that we would be a community, a church, a people that preach fearlessly as we should, says Paul. That we believe it, we stand on it, and we preach the truth of it. Why? Because it's not our word. It's his. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. It's not for us to chop and change it. It's for us to declare it. I think it was Spurgeon who said, I would rather, I'd rather defend a roaring lion to defend the Bible. It's like the, the ridiculous notion that you'd have to defend a roaring lion. You just get out of the way of a roaring lion, don't you? You don't have to defend it. It's like you don't have to defend the, God's word. It will, it will roar all it needs to if we declare it fearlessly as we should, remembering that we're on mission together. So how do we apply this? Five ways, very quickly, very, very quickly. You can pray on your own. Don't need any help with that. Jesus did it, Moses did it, David did it, Daniel did it, Peter did it, many, many Bible characters did it. You can just pray on your own. And I encourage you, be a brain people. Do you know, I'd rather that we all did that than we had packed prayer meetings. But I'd rather we were praying people, that we each of us came to God and we had vibrant, active prayer lives, that we were like Jesus, got up and we prayed first thing. I'd rather that. I'd rather we had both, of course. If it was a choice... That's what we'd go for. You can pray with a friend. Don't need to be organized. Just grab a friend and pray together with them. You can do it after the meeting. Right now, you could do it. Grab some and pray with them. Two or three are gathered together, it says in Matthew 18. There I am in the midst. You get instant access. Something special happens when we come together and Jesus is with us. Pray in a group. We have groups live together. We've got our connect groups starting up and coming in the autumn. One of the things we do is to pray together. We do it because we trust him. We know that's true of the upper room when they were gathering, waiting for the Holy Spirit. They prayed together. Here's the one I, I uh, fourthly, here's the one I, I mentioned earlier. Keep a diary. Just, op- just get a book. Write in it. This is what I'm praying. Just put a date at the top of the page. Maybe write a scripture. Just praying through these things. Then you can go back and be thankful. And God answers you. 
And it helps you to remember. It's just a helpful uh, reminder to you. And then finally and fifthly is this. Our worship is part of our prayer life together. First few lines of the Lord's Prayer is worship. And when we come together to worship collectively, this is us approaching God. This is prayer too. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're a glorious, wonderful God. That's worship. And we can sing it and we can say it. But let's not disconnect these two things. They're not remotely disconnected. They are the same thing. We worship together, corporately singing it, reminding ourselves of the truth so that when we come to petition God for things, we're standing on the truth of who he is. We come with more confidence when we come like that. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for helping us. We thank you for giving us this amazing, humble mystery of prayer. And I pray we would be soldiers engaged in the fight. Lord God, we would take up all this armor that you've given us and we would charge into battle on your behalf and we would do it through prayer. I pray that in Jesus' name.